Welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, and altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, Kelsey. <laughs> hey, Jay. How's it going? Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back to our podcast. <laughs> I don't course. know if that works, but... Um, so today's guest, Jay, is uh, someone that kind of makes me mad because of just what he did after college. Kind of makes me feel like a loser, you know? Hmm. Like, uh, what did I do after college? What did, what did you do after college? After college? After college? Well, I got a job after college. Okay. But yeah, I, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of my own anxiety about making sure I could afford a car payment and have a house and, uh, right? So, uh, you got each of those. You got to go out and get a job and get yourself in debt. Yeah. Isn't it kind of amazing that that's the kind of this track that we're supposed to be on? That, I mean, there, it is almost like, okay, you've been in college, so you should have a job that affords you your, you should get your first car payment. Right. Right. You should, you should, after renting for a while, then you should get your house. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not married or have kids yet, or like, there's like these boxes that, I feel yes. like we have to check, and if you don't check this as a society, yeah. people try to like push you onto that path. Yes, yeah. And I've caught myself, too, looking at um, you know, family members as well as friends that are younger than me that have not checked those boxes until they're in their 30s. And I just think, what are you doing? You, yeah. Your 20s were supposed to be for all that stuff and you know, not getting there. But you know, And for a lot of people, and I think um, you know, for myself and, and my wife, Karen, who you know, there were some decision points about were we going to be real adults or were we, both of us had art backgrounds and, you know, I was in a band and she was dancing ballet and neither of those two really offer a very generous life in terms of finances and cars. Right. Um, uh, And I think both of us ended up stopping and saying, okay, well, it's time I grew up. Mm. I got to get a job Mm -hmm. and I got to buy a car and I need to, hopefully we can buy a house soon. All those mm-hmm. things kind of happened. Whereas, uh, like you said, as we'll hear in the interview, not everybody takes that track. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't check those boxes. And, you know, sometimes, honestly, like looking back, uh, I wish I would have checked those boxes. You know, some things in life would be easier if I had yeah. checked those boxes early on. But um, I definitely did not check those. When I was graduating from college, I was shopping for a one-way ticket away from Ohio, and why my friends and classmates were like getting jobs and talking about how much they were going to get paid. Yeah. And so, what did you do? I bought a one-way ticket. I worked for after college. I graduated and I worked um, construction for a couple months. Saved up money. My grandma gives little grandkids uh, five thousand dollars when they graduate college to so talk about a privilege and, a, and an opportunity mm-hmm. and I saved up out of grandma's money I went travel for six months and that kind of started all of this like traveling that which led to, to writing stories and yeah. books and stuff but um yeah but there was a lot of pressure uh I would show up in my hometown where I had a travel column in that newspaper and uh people always thought I was like filing these columns like from the exact destination I was like in in, in oh. that in real time yeah. you know yeah. I thought you were in Hungary you know <laughs> and there's that temperament boy that travels a lot so one sense they like liked that I was doing it but another sense were like well you'll settle down one of these days. it's good to get it out of your system while you're young you know and um but 
Do you think that's different for people now? I mean, it seems like people are starting families later. Yeah. They're traveling more. I mean, two of our friends um, didn't get married till they were in their 30s and are just now having kids. Yeah. Um, but they traveled a bunch in their 20s because mm. they were double income, no kids. They yeah. were dates. Uh, and they spent all their time doing that. And um, sounds great on the front end, but now that I'm kind of on the back end of kids, you know, and my uh, uh, my oldest is going to be in college, in t- or my youngest is going to be in college in two years, I'll be free to start doing that again. And I don't yeah. feel 90 yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the right answer is yeah. yet. But um, certainly the bigger portion of this that's made me think, and the bigger portion of this interview is what difference did I make mm. when I was 22? Mm which is a little harder mm. to answer because mm. I'm not sure I made any difference. I don't think I made a difference. I was just like staying in youth hostels and, yeah. you know, checking out this world. And when was the scoop? You, you were a scuba instructor. At like 22 to 25. Okay. I didn't kill anybody, but I don't know if I really helped anyone's life. I may have saved a dude's life. I saved the like, one guy's life. There. There you go. That That's was, better than most people that at that was age. Something. <laughs> but I'm not, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that counts. But. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so to, uh, today's guest definitely uh, right out of college did, or did something uh, quite different and continued on a class project. And it's uh, his name is Ben Kennard, and Ben uh, has worked in fair trade. They started a chocolate brand called Five North Chocolate, and he was named one of the top ten biggest fair trade advocates in the world and number one in the United States. His passion for fair trade has taken them to the TEDx stage and on the ground to fair trade farms in Ecuador and, and workshops in India. He celebrates all cultures and people. He spent a year in Germany representing the U.S. to strengthen dipl- diplomatic relations. I mean, this guy's kind of annoying. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, think that was your point. Yeah, yeah. right? Like, come he's, on. He's done a lot. He's when not I was, even 30. Yeah, still. Still. You know, he's almost... Oh, man. And, and as an LGBTQ rights activist, he was named to the list of... 40 LGBT leaders under 40 by Business Equality Magazine. Dedicated to great taste, consumer health, and sustainable sourcing, he founded Five North Chocolate, an award-winning certified LGBT business enterprise, supporting cocoa farmers around the world by creating deliciously nutritious, fair trade certified chocolate snacks. And as much as I joke that he's annoying, he's actually a really awesome dude doing some really, really cool things. And uh, I think a 22-year-old Kelsey could have uh, benefited from listening to this interview with Ben Kennard. Hey, Ben. Welcome to the Good People Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Kelsey. Yeah, so you're 24 years old, and uh, I should say only 24 years old, and you're already have I, behind you. I can see you have uh, your own brand of fair trade chocolate already. How how does that happen? And, <laughs> and also, I find it kind of annoying. Like, how do you do that by 20? What was I doing when I was 24? I was like, I don't know, teaching scuba, you know, or something like. <laughs> I, you know, I think I owe a lot of credit to. Um, my entrepreneurial journey starting in college. Uh, You know, I was studying business because I knew I wanted to be in the business world, but I also knew I kind of wanted to make a difference. Um, And I didn't really even know though, when I was studying business, what an entrepreneur even was uh, until I joined an entrepreneurial training program at my college. 
which literally took you from an ideation class to a business writing class um, or a business plan writing class. And we literally wrote like a 70 page business plan on a healthy candy slash snack company. Um, and we pitched our plan, which was much shorter, of course, to um, investor competitions and the New York business plan competition um, and started to really develop the idea on a real level, made samples, started to sell those samples. Uh, and before you knew it, I was doing something that I absolutely loved and was gaining a little bit of traction. Uh, and it kind of just rolled from there right out of graduation. <laughs> so this is still like a class project. Was this like a, a, a partner project? Yeah, we had a team of four other students um, and it was totally a class that you received business class credit for. Um, and it was super hands-on. Uh, I mean, we were interviewing industry professionals and, and really writing a business plan from scratch um, and an investor pitch presentation. Uh, so yeah, it was very hands-on and, and a great experience. I mean, had you even thought about where chocolate came from? before that? I mean, I had a little bit of experience in, I had experience in fair trade. And so I knew kind of, I understood supply chains on a really broad scale and understood that, you know, farmers really create food. Um, but I certainly had no idea what I was getting into when I said, hmm, chocolate sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, so how did you, how did you learn about fair trade in, in school? Gosh, that was back probably when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. Oh. Uh, my aunt and uncle actually opened a fair trade retail store uh, in Bar Harbor, Maine, where my family vacationed with them um, once a year. And I popped into the store and just kind of fell in love with, with business and business that was doing good. And I started learning about fair trade ever since um, when I joined, um, when I joined my university, uh, I decided to start a fair trade club and fair trade university campaign on campus to kind of get students involved, start changing the products that we were selling on campus, start teaching about fair trade in classes. Um, and that was where I really fell in love with fair trade. You know, the more that you learn about it, the more that you become kind of an activist for it. Um, and yeah. then from there, I was just, you know, fair trade advocate all the way. <laughs> So what is, what is a fair trade as it applies to, because I feel like there's a little bit of a difference between as it applies to food and maybe handicrafts, right? So how do you describe that, each one of those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, fair trade did definitely start in coffee, which is, you know, a food. It's a commodity. It's traded. Yeah, <laughs> which we're fueled by right now. <laughs> um, and so there's absolutely a difference between fair trade handicrafts and fair trade food products. Food products can be certified um, by Fair Trade USA and Fair Trade International, Fair for Life, um, and handicrafts can't be. So the organizations uh, are members of either the Fair Trade Federation or the World Fair Trade Organization, uh, and they abide by a certain set of principles that they work directly with their artisans with. Um, and fair trade food, on the other hand, can actually be certified um, because it, it can be a commodity that's actually weighed and paid for in a certain way. Um, and there are, of course, qualitative standards that happen on farms and on the ground as well, uh, prohibiting child labor, um, supporting gender equality in the workforce, giving workers really a right um, to sharing their voice on the farm or in the factory or wherever the certification is happening. And, and have you had a chance to meet some of the farmers who benefit from fair trade? 
Yeah, you know, luckily I've actually had a chance to meet both fair trade artisans and fair trade farmers. Uh, so back in 2014, I visited um, three or four different fair trade artisan groups in India um, and actually got to see, you know, block printed table linens being made, um, carved wooden products and paper being made from, from cotton rags all in India and seeing kind of the benefits that fair trade has had on their communities. Um, and more recently in 2017, I visited uh, farmers in Ecuador, uh, cacao farmers, tea farmers, um, and a few others as well. So, you know, really cool to see it kind of happening on the ground. Does any like one person or story kind of stand out for you? Um, you know, one of the artisan workers in, um, in India that we met with was telling us about um, sending both of his children to college. And I mean, to us visiting these artisans, I, I was in college. So for me, it was kind of, you know, a real normal thing to be going to school and, and have support to do that. And for them, it wasn't. Um, and he was really proud to, to share that, that he was sending both of his children to school. Um, and that kind of, that kind of really hit me, hit me hard. Yeah. In a good way. <laughs> yeah. I was in uh, Columbia research and followed my Starbucks coffee to Columbia to meet coffee farmers who grew Starbucks coffee, which is interesting. But, um, and I was talking with some farmers there that were selling some of the products into fair trade. Um, and it was interesting because as they were, um, you know, being able to afford more in their lives and, and the goal was to send their kids to school and away from the field to this, you know, the city, away from the farm to the city, it was, in, it's interesting to see how that is kind of changing communities. And a lot of, a lot of parents don't necessarily want their kids to be farmers, but some of them do. And a lot of kids don't necessarily want to be farmers. But then in some communities in the North, I was um, with this group called the Arwakos, like this indigenous group. They still dress very traditional style and, have all these amazing practices. I studied anthropology in college. And I felt like an anthropologist oh, yeah. um, and how they were able to send some of their young kids to, um, to college and they were coming back and they were representing them as lawyers now and things like that. So, you know, and I've been in schools uh, built by fair trade premiums and in clinics. And so it's really awesome to see it on the ground but i mean you were you were all in on the fair trade before you even like met it like how, what won you over and how did we win over more people yeah i mean you know I, i'm i'm lucky I, I worked in a fair trade retail setting and i was literally inundated with product stories um from all over the world and to kind of see this this really similar thread of a story being told from all over the world, literally from Ecuador to Colombia to places in Central America to all over Africa and India. Um, and to see that, that this common thread of a story is being told um, amongst these people who call themselves fair traders uh, truly resonated with me and kind of proved to me that, that it's working on a really large scale. Um, so yeah, for me, I didn't need to necessarily see fair trade on the ground. Um, but I also like, you know, coming from a business background and having learned about business in college, I learned that all of the, the good and the bad that happens in business affects 
the people on the ground. It, ex it affects everybody along the supply chain. Um, and so for me, it was more a theoretical and academic understanding of, of business and supply chains that helped me to believe in fair trade. Um, visiting the actual artisans and seeing it on the ground was icing on the cake and yeah. helped me share the story on a, on a larger sense. Hey, Ben. Yeah, um, this is Jay. The, um, so because it's been a while since I was in business school, did, did your ethics classes talk any about fair trade and supply chain as, as it came to responsible consumerism or, um, you know, supply management? Was that part of your curriculum at all? Mm -hmm. um, I do remember taking a business ethics class um, that was actually under like the philosophy umbrella uh, on our campus. Um, so we explored such a range of topics in that class being from like right. workers' rights, uh, which definitely incorporated some in fair trade, um, but also like, you know, is it ethical to sacrifice stakeholder returns for increasing, you know, worker rights on the other end of the supply chain? Uh, so we did yeah. kind of explore what that meant philosophically, um, but we didn't really get into the nitty gritty of, of fair trade and, and supply chains actually affecting people. Um, and yeah. our international business class, we also kind of talked about and touched on um, what it meant to, to support your supply chain in, in every piece. Yeah, I th because I, it is a, it is an interesting thing. I mean, you, you, you became interested and cared for and decided to, to spend some of your future in this. And, and which is amazing to me, like Kelsey said, without actually meeting those people yet and, and having those stories. I do think the other side of that selling equation though, uh, that I know you talk a little bit about in your Ted talk, but is getting companies to find this to be something they need to do. Right. There's, there's certainly two parts to this process and getting companies to source that way is, is, is important. Have you seen any success there or, ways that you've seen that motivation occur? Uh, well, Jay, it's funny you say that. I would almost argue that there are three, um, three kind of facets to like, where do we start with fair trade? And I asked this question years ago in a conversation with a professor, a professor from the University of Colorado. Um, and we were talking about where does fair trade actually start? Um, and I kind of identified them as what I call the three C's. Um, does it start with consumers demanding that products be made more fairly? Does it start with companies who are actually taking the initiative, creating products more fairly and presenting them to their customers? Or does it start with countries actually writing better and stronger laws and enforcing them on the ground hmm. uh, to make sure that producer groups are, are being treated in a fair way? And I tell you, I to this day don't have really the answer. Um, I was hoping you had the answer for that because I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I truly do believe in the power of consumers to, to make a difference. Sometimes though, I believe in the power of, of companies and corporations to present better solutions to things that consumers might not otherwise know need to be in place. Um, to lead. Of, yes. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, the power of, of a country to, to write a law that, actually protects its its citizens and its workers on the ground um, sounds really powerful and it sounds like it's more at the source. Um, so I don't really know where we, we could start, um, but I've always kind of believed in the consumer power to, to 
at least be the driving force for now. Right. So, so much of fair trade is dominated by coffee. So I'm, I guess I'm coming at this from knowledge of coffee because it's something like, is it like 75% of fair trade sales are coffee? I, I'm just totally made that up, but it's like the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I've heard in coffee that, that the least farmers I've talked to and what I've read is that there's not enough consumer demand at which they can sell all of their crop at, uh, for a fair trade premium, right? Like they, they're growing, their crop is all fair trade certified, but there's not enough demand for them to sell 100% of their crop at that premium level. And they're happy to sell it off into just the normal commodity uh, chain. Is, is that similar in chocolate? So my, my, I guess my point is that there's consumers, there's not enough, there's still, it can be more demand for consumers yeah. to come on to support those, those farmers and get more dollars into fair trade. Yeah, I think also part of it is kind of making it, you know, blatantly obvious and super convenient for consumers. Um, I mean, when you think about like, if you're at an airport and you're there for a few hours and you're grabbing a cup of coffee and there are no fair trade certified options of coffee at that airport, you're probably still going to buy a cup of coffee. Um, So it's, it is partly like consumer demand who are seeking out and purposely buying fair trade products, but it's also like, making it convenient and easy for them to participate. Uh, unfortunately, if it's not easy, most won't do it. Um, yeah. So I think part of it is really making sure that, that we're in the right channels and the right places to get in front of these customers so that when they're ready to make that, that decision, that it's easy for them. Yep. Uh, so you, you, uh, you're still doing your class project. I hope you got a good grade on it, right? You're st- you're still yeah. living this journey. Uh, at what moment does it become like, this is actually going to be something I spent a lot of my time on as, and there's, there's, uh, you know, we develop, the, keep developing the brand and start marketing and selling this. And what is that step like? And, and is it just you doing that or is there other people along for the ride? Yeah. So, you know, my senior semester in college, I had, um, a few months left in it. And um, I was really just like ready to launch this business. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a now or never thing. Um, and we had actually won a, a small grant from our university uh, to start like actually testing and producing recipes and, and, and start to sell them. Um, so I had kind of a little bit of a time limit on that. So I was kind of just plowing forward. But you had no clue how to make chocolate though, right? Oh my gosh. I'm no guessing. Clue. Yeah. Not even, not even a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it was, it got really messy and really scary really fast. Um, and yeah, I mean, essentially just starting to, to work on recipes in our, in our dorm room, literally, and share them with our friends, um, which led to, you know, finding a commercial kitchen uh, right out of graduation. Uh, I moved back home for two months, I I had two months um, to kind of work through this grant, find a commercial kitchen, jump in there and start producing and selling at a local farmer's market. Um, And, and we did it because, you know, I kind of had to, I gave myself a time limit. Um, I had actually committed that year to a year long fellowship in Germany. (laughs) So after two months of, of producing and selling, I had already committed to flying off to Germany for a year. Um, with the government on a once in a lifetime exchange program that I just couldn't turn down. So knowing that most startups fail almost immediately, uh, I decided to give it a go knowing that 
it might not work and, and I'll have an alternative. I'll go to Germany and live there for a year and learn a bunch of other things and come back home. Um, and I, I loved what I was doing, was definitely gaining some traction and was really sad to put, you know, the chocolate thing on hold and on pause. Um, but I did. And I moved to Germany and I had an amazing year and I came back in the summer of 2017 and I just kind of picked up where I left off, jumped back into the commercial kitchen and like plowed forward from there. Um, and that was when I think I knew this is what I was going to focus my time on. Yeah. I think a really important thing about your journey that I really love is that I think that is the time to go take a lot of risk. And there's so much pressure not to do that, right? Like, so I'm guessing that the people, the fellow students who were, were partners on the project with you probably like, well, dude, I'm, I'm going to get a job and start paying off my student loans and doing these responsible things. And I'm sure you had family and friends telling you, what are you doing with this chocolate? You don't, you don't, you don't even know how to make chocolate, but you yep. did it and you, and you stuck with it. And that's just so admirable. And that's great. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's nothing wrong with going out there and, you know, finding the right fit for you in employment and climbing the corporate ladder. Like, heck, I'm so jealous sometimes of the people who took those paths. Um, and, and I still see that as maybe a possibility for me in five or 10 years, if, you know, if that's what I need. Um, but right now you're so right, Kelsey, right now is the time to drop everything and go for it. Um, because you so rarely regret the things that you do. You only regret the things that you don't do. You're kind of getting your MBA, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really in a hands-on, messy, dirty way. <laughs> yeah. So how do you start getting, you see, I look, your, your product is in uh, multiple stores across, you know, many states. Uh, how do you go from selling this at a farmer's market in your hometown, I'm guessing, to like now you could travel to California and buy some of your chocolate? Right. Yeah. Um, we definitely started super small, literally selling at a farmer's market in my neighborhood um, just to get out there and to get in front of customers and kind of experience what, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. Um, from there, you know, we had one cafe who said, we'll give you a try. We'll put you on the shelf and see what happens. Um, and then from there, it just, it kind of, it grows, you know, kind of slowly. Um, you meet companies and stores at events. Uh, you send them samples. You hope that they love it as much as you do. And sometimes they give you a try. Um, just this couple months ago, we got into our first grocery stores. Um, I think about seven of them in like the New York city area. Um, and we've gotten reorders from them. So it's, it's selling off their shelves. Um, and which is really exciting because I'm not actually there to, to sell it to them or to, to get it into the customer's carts. Yeah. Um, so something is, is resonating with them on the shelf level, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, definitely focus on getting into more stores and, and more customer carts uh, as time continues. So if I'm a store, what is your, what is your sales pitch? <laughs> well, we create super delicious, healthy chocolate snacks that empower farmers and celebrate diversity. Uh, so we have, you know, kind of an all-in-one, really feel-good product. Um, there's so much dark chocolate on the market. It's a super crowded space. And there's so many different convenient snacks on the market too. Um, but there are very few brands, if any, out there who are really combining 
all of the, the pieces that we are that resonate with our customers. And that being, you know, super delicious dark chocolate, convenient snacks in a resealable pouch, awesome superfood, healthy flavors, um, and kind of a real nice touch on, on unique flavor profiles um, and being unique in the sense that we celebrate diversity. We're a really fun, loving, exciting chocolate brand uh, that not everyone can say that they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw um, that you recently became a certified LGBTQ business. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that label. I had never heard of that before. It seems like a pretty new thing. Uh, yeah. I, so I wanted you to talk about that. And I will say that in, you know, I'm sitting, Jay and I are both sitting in Indiana right now. And this became a big issue in our state, which is, you know, sometimes kind of backwards on things sure. about yeah. like, the cake shop. I don't know if you ever heard of um, this. This news made it outside of Indiana a lot. And oh, yeah, it did. <laughs> okay, the business would unfortunately, yeah, did, um, you know, that they wouldn't sell to for a uh, same-sex wedding, and uh, just uh, and and so it's it's awesome that there's a certification now. So what does that process look like, and how is that received, and what's the feedback then? Sure. Yeah. Um, so just. Honestly, this kind of all happened really fast. Um, this past July, I decided that, you know, if I'm going to be my total authentic and complete self, I'm going to be out everywhere. Uh, not only on a personal level with my family, with my friends, which I was for a few years, but also on a professional level, um, because I don't believe that there's any value in hiding anything from, from people and, and from the people that you work with who I, you know, hold so closely to my heart. Um, so this past July, I decided I'd be out on a professional level, um, with a quick, simple Google search, I found out that there was a national LGBT chamber of commerce, similar to, you know, there are also, um, certifications out there for businesses that are owned by women, uh, refugees, immigrants, Latinos, black. Um, I mean, there are so many different certifications to support minority business owners, uh, large corporations actually have supplier diverse, diversity initiatives, which means that they are committed to sourcing, for example, 10% of all of their services and products from diverse or minority-owned supplier groups. Um, so really kind of an interesting way to, to increase diverse representation on an economic level across the country. Uh, and there is a national LGBT Chamber of Commerce representing the LGBT community uh, within the economy, which, by the way, contributes like $1.7 trillion to the GDP. Um, so, you know, making incredible impact, um, but also representing diverse groups is, is what they're all about. They certify businesses, they allow corporate partners to become members. So American Airlines, for instance, is a corporate partner with, uh, it's called NGLCC. Um, they host awesome events. Uh, they're really about increasing visibility of the LGBT community uh, on an economic level. Um, and so, you know, I kind of just dove into this community. I decided to join, go to events, meet people, and and kind of share the voice and be really visible for for anybody, you know, growing up in in harder areas like like you guys are from Indiana. I mean, I'm from New York, so I can't really say that I've, I've grown up in a super hate-filled society, but I know that it still exists and I've experienced it myself. Um, so if there's anything that I can do from kind of my privileged standpoint to increase visibility and, and 
just really share a message of, of love and acceptance, uh, I'm going to do that. And so one of my first kind of instincts joining the Chamber of Commerce was, wow, like, can I stamp this on a package? And can I show this to, you know, all of our customers and all of our, our people enjoying our product? Uh, and so I did. And I took, you know, our seal as a certified LGBT business enterprise, and I threw it on our package. Um, I didn't really think too much of it. I thought it was something kind of cool and unique. Turns out we were the first brand ever to do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, the next morning after I launched that, uh, I woke up to a Forbes article written about us um, having used the seal for the first time ever, uh, which was really cool to see kind of the support. Um, I was definitely nervous about kind of putting that on a billboard for everyone to see and for everyone to judge or question or think about. I haven't received too much pushback, definitely questions like, why is this important? You know, if you want to be equal, you should be silent, um, that kind of mentality. And so that's been really kind of the only hard part is, is educating people on, on why this is still so, so important. Um, but overall, mostly people are excited about it and, and really accepting. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, the, um, here in Indiana, after all that went down with the cake stuff, or they might have been a pizza parlor, I don't know, too. <laughs> um, but the, there was a lot of stickers that, like, all are welcome, and businesses were putting those on their, on their doors. Hmm. Uh, here in Muncie, Indiana, the last, uh, which, you know, Muncie, Indiana is not the most progressive of places in the world, but we have a, a chocolate company called The Queer Chocolatier now that, oh, is a, that was really a response to that. Yeah. And it's two women that, um, you know, run it themselves. One of them is a Ball State professor and uh, they have offer sipping chocolates and chocolate tasting parties. And it's just really fantastic to see people taking that head on because I think it is necessary so people can see what you're doing in the world. Like a, a, a student right now who's, did you grow up in Western New York or? I went to school in Western New York. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. You know, I mean, I guess that's an area that might be not the easiest place, of right? And, yeah. and you see that packet, you know, becomes just something more within the realm of possibility that you can achieve and accomplish. And to be that example for other people, I think is really fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's funny too, because I mean, you think about it, it's like queer chocolate, like, like, what does that even mean? Um, you know, I mean, it, it could be, it could be anything. I think just chocolate is kind of the vehicle for it. Um, and, you know, the brand, the company, the story, all of that is just really the vehicle for sharing a larger message. Um, and absolutely, you know, if, as, a, as I was a student, I was really start struggling with my identity, but also knew that I wanted to be a social entrepreneur. Um, but I didn't really see a future in that space because I didn't really see a future in me. Um, and so if I could change that paradigm for other people, uh, that would be... I think hugely impactful and, and even valuable for our society, our economy, everything is kind of tied together. So, well, um, so you, if this is too personal, you don't have to answer, but uh, when did you come out to friends and family and, and was there anyone who like learned from the packaging? Like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh interesting. Um, you know, I, I came out during my junior year in college um, after honestly, a, a series of, of hospitalizing panic attacks that were just really setting me back as, as a person. I was really hardworking. I was really involved. I was lovable, but you would never know that I was like internalizing a lot of hate. Um, 
And so, you know, it kind of, it built up, it physically manifested itself into a monster. Um, and eventually my sister, who I'm super close with, kind of recognized that, that it was hurting and changing me. And she encouraged me to just be really authentic with, with who I was and who I was spending my time with. And, you know, luckily for her, she, I mean, she literally saved my life. And I decided, okay, I need to live authentically, at least on a personal level. And I did for couple years, but it wasn't until, you know, last summer that I was like, wait a second, you know, there's so much work to be done in this space. And if I'm not being like honest and truthful with everyone that I touch or everyone that I meet or everyone that I'm with, then I'm doing a disservice to my community and everyone around me. Um, so that was kind of the decision to, to come out on a, on a professional level, but personally it was, it was years ago. Um, and I learned just how, positively impactful that was for me to do that yeah i mean i, I think we can make a difference in our, and uh i spent the last 16 years really exploring like how how can you be a good person and you see the inequality exists in the world and like what do i do with my privileges and and opportunities to make a positive difference and uh time and again i feel like one of the the biggest ways that people make that difference is by is through their own lived experiences and when they're ready sharing that story and being that example for other people. That's beautiful. And I totally agree, Kelsey. So, um, so what do you think is next, uh, for, for five North, uh, where do you see it going in the future? Yeah. I mean, you know, I would say pretty standard growth goals, uh, you know, getting into more stores, um, getting into the hands of more customers. Uh, we've, we haven't done a trade show yet. So I think that would be kind of the next big step to get in front of some real serious buyers and serious players in the industry. Um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking really visionarily about this, uh, making sure that that kind of we're scaling in the right way um, and that we're ready to, to work with larger partners. Um, so that means, you know, I love the small independent shops that we work with. I love them and I'll never stop working with them. Um, and I truly consider them like partners with our brand, our story and our company and with me. Um, but, you know, onto the next and bigger things would be, you know, partnering with larger grocery stores um, and, and bigger companies who can kind of share our, our story on a wider scale. Um, so I would say that that in a larger sense is next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do you target places like Whole Foods, um, which is where my daughter works now, and I know they have quite a variety of fair trade, and obviously have been some of the leaders in that from a, from a retail standpoint. Um, I would think a contract like that for you would be huge, especially now that they're owned by Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Whole Foods has definitely been on our radar since the beginning. Um, since the shift to Amazon, it's been a little bit trickier, uh, to get in front of the right people. Um, but the yeah, conversation yeah. is, is absolutely started. Um, and that's the thing about, you know, working with some of these bigger players is the sales cycle lasts a really long time. Um, so you have to be really patient. It's, you know, it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. It's not a sprint. Um, so yeah. yeah, the conversation with Whole Foods is started. Uh, it just, you know, it will take some time. Uh, they do, you know, they review um, products on, I want to say a quarterly basis. Um, and it depends really, you know, on the timing and the right fit and what products they're looking for. 
Um, so it's not always, unfortunately, you know, it's not as easy as it used to be walking into your Whole Foods and, and giving a sample to the buyer and, and hoping for the best. Since they're, they're purchased yeah. by Amazon, it's become a lot more regional um, and a little bit more challenging. Yeah. So it'll take time, but absolutely a, a great fit for us. Yeah, great. I have a, a, a buddy that owns a store called the Downtown Farm Stand, which is about one of the few places that you can buy all sorts of different organic products in, in Muncie. I can totally connect you to Dave because it would be selfishly, I would love to have your chocolate in town. That would be fantastic. That would so be what awesome. other, what advice do you give someone who wants to start a fair trade business? Yeah. Um, I mean, it would honestly probably be, similar advice that I'd be giving to somebody starting any business, um, you know, and that is to be really positive about what you're doing um, because it will become, it'll become very lonely and very challenging very quickly. Um, but to be really positive about what you're doing and, and to realize that it, it's totally a marathon and not a sprint. Um, things take time, although you can keep pushing forward every day and making, you know, little bits of progress. Um, but to, to stick it out and to kind of really ride the highs and enjoy the heck out of them. Um, but then, you know, also realize you're going to have to stick out the lows. Um, I always tell people the highs are really high and the lows are really low. Uh, and sometimes those low points can be like really journey changing. Um, you know, you can hit a real low and, and think that's it. I'm done. This is, you know, I'm quitting tomorrow. Um, and I've, I've felt that way before. I mean, I would be an imposter to say that I haven't felt that way. Um, but, but it's about kind of sticking them out and, and thinking on a visionary way about, you know, what it is you're trying to achieve and, and just pushing, pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we you know, hear a lot about uh, corporate social responsibility and mm -hmm. you're a great example of, of that. Um, but, you know, I also think sometimes we wag our fingers at corporations more than we do ourselves. I think, well, what about individual social responsibility? I don't think that's a term that really gets uh, thrown out. So what do you say to consumers of, of why they should be ethical consumers? I, I really appreciated the way that you started your uh, TED Talk with about, and I, I've done this too, like how many people have had, you know, coffee, banana, chocolate in the last 24 hours or on a daily basis and so many people. Um, so what do you, how do you talk, address people? How do you, how do you create ethical consumers? You know, before even trying to teach somebody about, you know, the impact that their purchase is having, whether positive or negative on somebody on the other side of the world. Um, I think the, the best way for people to start making better decisions and to actually understand their place in the economy and, and, and the purchases that they're making every day is to really think about what they're consuming. Think about what you're buying every day. Think about what you're eating every day. Um, and to, to learn more about it. You know, the more educated you are about what you're doing, the more you're willing to understand why you're doing it and how it's affecting people. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, less about teaching people, you know, what is fair trade? Why is fair trade really good? And why should you be seeking fair trade products? More about like you are consuming coffee. Coffee does not grow in the United States. Coffee grows, you know, north and south of the equator, X number of degrees coming from all of these countries. Um, where's your coffee coming from? And, and how does your, you know, the company who works with those coffee farmers, how are they treating them? Um, 
And then you start to look for labels like fair trade certification to say, oh yeah, like I know fair trade kind of lines with my values. And I understand that it, that it works closely with the companies who are working with farmers. And now that I have an understanding of where my coffee is coming from, I care about where it's coming from. And mm-hmm. I care about who it's coming from. Um, so the biggest thing that I would say we can all be doing is thinking really a little bit more deeply about what we're eating, why we're eating it, um, and how it's getting to us. Yeah. And I think it has a, r- a real economic impact, right? And, and help to develop communities over time. But I also just wonder how it changes the way that we see the world. You know, if we start to look or if we think, well, we're, I'm a type of person who believes in fair trade and finding these products, incorporating some of them into my life and looking for that in the store, then how does that re- reflect how we see the world and how we interact with the world? Um, yeah. Anything else to add, Ben, before we take off? Jay, have any final questions I think I missed? Uh, not a, not a question, but just a comment, uh, Ben, I find it inspiring that, uh, you're trying to help other people, um, purchase responsibly and, and, and think about that having purpose when they go to source and, and buy things. Um, I think the other kind of subtle lesson here that, um, isn't in your packaging is that you, um, you have found, uh, employment with purpose. Um, and that is often, difficult to do as Kelsey said earlier on the podcast just you know we all get out of college and need to find a job and your parents want you to pay a mortgage and you're supposed to get a car and all those things and you found a way to do that and to serve a purpose um, that's greater than yourself I think that is um, in a, in a couple different layers um, really exciting and uh, good for people to hear thanks Jay yeah you know I think it's it's important to recognize like coming out of college I you know, I didn't have a mortgage to pay and I didn't have, you know, a, a job that I had to go to or that I was committed to. Um, you know, I'm under 26. I'm still on my parents' health insurance. Uh, so, you know, certain things like that totally make it advantageous to to do what I'm doing during this time. Um, it doesn't make it that much easier, but it definitely makes it a little bit more accessible. <laughs> um, right. And yeah, I think now now's the time uh, to try something out to give it a risk and and to go for it um i really i do live by the idea that you you so rarely regret the things that you do you you are only regretting the things that you don't do you almost always look back and say oh my gosh i wish i had said something to that person or i wish i had done this or tried this or did this differently i mean you yeah i can't remember a single regret where i said like darn i can't believe I tried that, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So true. So true. Yep. So where can people find you online? Where can we order your chocolate? Yeah. I mean, you know, of course we're absolutely sold e-commerce on our website, five northchocolate.com. That's F I V E North chocolate.com. Um, and then from there you can also see, you know, all the stores that we sell in. So you can see if there's one near you. Uh, we're primarily in like the New York long Island region because that's where we're based. (laughs) Um, And if you think, you know, if you think you have a really cool store or know somebody who would love to sell our product and to make it more available to more people, we'd love to hear, you know, who that is. We can send you a sample to walk in with and and share our story with someone else. Yeah. Well, I'm going to definitely make the connection with my buddy, Dave. That'd be fantastic. So, well, thank you so much for the, you know, the story you are living, inspiring ethical consumers and kind of be an example for, 
other businesses. Ben, man, you're definitely good people. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kelsey. And thanks for having me. I mean, I love sharing my story just as much as I hope people love to hear it. <laughs> Fantastic. So that was Ben. I mean, yeah. Super awesome dude. Great uh, interview. You know, I, I think back to his college professor that gave him that assignment even know yeah. what that assignment became. We should ask that. that you yeah. follow up. Yeah. I had a sociology professor in college that introduced me to concepts like globalization and sweatshops and child labor. Things in that moment I really did not care about whatsoever. But you go back to that. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, I pull from that all the time. That class it's, it had so much meaning. Like that was one of the most meaningful classes I ever had in college. And I've actually tried to email that professor and tell him like what a class and I've he's never responded to my email <laughs> he probably read the, my books and was like nah like yeah. I don't, I don't want to be responsible That's not I'm not responsible for that so what are some of your thoughts after talking with Ben uh, you know I it, he was um uh, you you made jokes about it in the in the introduction but uh you know having been through the interview with him and heard his story it really is interesting to me that he just, he found purpose so early, right? He took an, an idea that he got from a professor, got a commercial kitchen, started working through it. The angle to me that's so interesting there, and it's different than your, your, your history a little bit. You were curious about the world and then learned people's stories and found your empathy and, and, and found your purpose. He started with purpose and then later traveled and met the folks that, you know, he was involved with, yeah. um, which seems which is great and uh, just different than I would have expected, as well as he really did find a job with purpose right out of college. Yeah. I mean, he said, look, this is something that people do, you know, when they finally check off all the boxes like we yeah. were talking about, right? So I got the house, I got the car, I've had my kids, now I'm going to try to figure out how to be a good person. Yeah, and I think that's kind of one of the amazing things about having like a social enterprise right or whatever you call it like a, a social good enterprise like right. you could you could check those boxes of to you know to be a responsible adult in the united states of america you check these certain boxes and you can do good in the world and people that find that when you're 22 years old yeah i mean what a what a gift that is because you know many people go their whole life yeah and don't find something like that well it's interesting i the um so, you know, like the, and, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have heard of the Dave Ramsey books, right? Dave mm -hmm. Ramsey talks about, and I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with this, but is build as much wealth as you can in those, those, those box checking, checking years so that later you can give away and do good at a level you mm -hmm. never could have done, mm -hmm. right? So in other words, I don't know if I take that as be as greedy as you can yeah. until you're 60, or yeah. is it... You know, it, it build your wealth so that you can give it away and make a difference yeah. in people's lives. Which these are some of the choices people yeah. face in real life. Right? I think about you know Bill Gates, right? True. Like, I mean, pretty ruthless from from what I've heard about making money up front. Um, but now, like single handedly, nearly with his wealth, he's like eradicating diseases. Yeah. Uh, and there's actually a concept in effective altruism, which we should have a podcast on effective altruism about doing the, the moral and obligation. That's a, that's a book. Yeah. It's a kind of concept. Like it's, it's like this idea of it's a moral obligation to do the most good that you can do with the resources that you have. And there's this concept of earning to give. So they're saying if you can go to wall street and make a bunch of money 
and give so much of it away and mm. like, you know, $3,500 you can save a life. Maybe that's what you should do. Wow, that's a whole, that's a, yeah, that's a whole other path. That's a, that's a, that's a whole podcast in yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. You know, I But think, that is the concept. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You know, I feel like I, I always joke with my grandpa before he passed away that I was going to graduate college and then just retire. And that's kind of what I did. I lived life backwards. Like yeah, I had you kind of have. no money. I retired, did all my traveling up front. And now I'm like, wow, I probably should like do something to like, you know, earn an income. Um, but, <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, but Ben found a way to do both of those things. He did. He did. And it, it feels to me that at, at his age, especially if he stays as entrepreneurial as he is, the sort of impact and the social awareness he has, that business could grow, could become other things. He yeah. could, you know, I know he, he's probably already thinking about how he can branch out in other areas. He's focused on growth now, but what other impact could yeah. he have by the time he's 35? Yeah. I also think about one really important thing that he shared was his story. Like how he was the first one that thought that I should put this, um, that I belong to LGBT business on the packaging. Yes. And how, yeah. you know, I think some people could look at that and like, well, why, why is that important to have on your packaging? But, you know, I think that Ben felt that kids like him could have benefited from seeing that example. And I think that's a way he's making a difference that could be even bigger than having like this ethical business. Just being this example for other kids, yeah. uh, other people growing up, yeah. Um, yeah. sharing that story. Yeah, I love that he said that, and I love that he said, and it, and it reminds me a lot of my oldest daughter, um, who is also gay, and um, he said, I, if I'm going to be true to myself, I want to be true everywhere. I forget his exact quote. Yeah. But I love that. He said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this right on the package. This comes from someone's ideas and someone's hard work that is part of that minority. Yep. So everybody should know that, and I, I think that's inspiring. And, you know... Um, just seeing those two labels on there together to me, I think are, are great. Um, and, and it shows an underrepresented minority of people that, um, um, you just don't think about. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad he did it. Yeah. And it was an education for me because I didn't know that sort of certification existed mm-hmm. or the, mm-hmm. the sort of chamber of commerce like uh, organization yeah. um, that's there. And I actually, uh, uh, need to look that up and learn more about well, who know other, what other businesses he could inspire to, Include that Do the same label thing. on their packaging, yeah. and who could be inspired by that? You know, I often think that the biggest ways that we make a difference are these ripples, like that we can never actually quantify the good that we're going to do in the world because this yeah. this could be the thing that reaches thousands of people or one person who makes a huge difference. Creates you have a, no idea. Creates a tipping point. Yeah. yeah, and there's a number of businesses right in town here where we live, right? That. Um, what you know the way to show that now is we serve everyone or yeah. you know either I'm a, an ally or I'm actually part of um, some some group whatever that group might be but um, there's I know a number of businesses in town that are run by LGBTQ people um, is that got to be more prominent I mean I they could they could put that same label up yeah they could put that on their door they could show that to the world and uh, I'm sure all of them would, yeah at least the ones I know would be willing to do that or have already mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of breaking new ground that other people will follow. Yeah, he should be proud of that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so for making, uh, educating consumers about being more ethical consumers, for being an example, yeah. such a really great to talk to him. Yeah, it was. 
Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffritcheyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.